Hello and welcome to the Delphian podcast. Delphian is an artist-led nomadic gallery focusing on emerging and early career artists. Each episode will feature a different art world practitioner, from artists and gallerists to collectors and curators. If you liked today's episode, please like, share and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the Delphian podcast. And this is the second installment of the coronavirus special edition of uh, Delphian podcast, where we are uh, in our office slash house. In lockdown. In lockdown. And uh, due to not being able to talk to any guests, um, we're interviewing each other. So with me today is Benjamin Murphy, the other half of Delphian Gallery. Yeah, hello. Joining us today is the guest, me. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, first of all, uh, why are you an artist? Why am I an artist? How did I know that question was coming? (laughs) Um, I suppose I'm an artist out of compulsion, really. I've I've always had this, um, this compulsion to be creative in some way, and it doesn't feel like something that I have control over so if i'm if i'm not doing something creative i start to feel really anxious and antsy and um quick to and and annoying annoyable probably and annoying probably and annoying to people around me um (laughs) i mean it's quite annoying when you're doodling in your sketchbook watching films yeah exactly (laughs) um i'm annoying in many ways uh this is just one of them um but yeah, so when I was younger, I I never had dreams of being an artist or even an interest in being an artist, really. I, um, but I always had like a boundless energy to, to do stuff. Um, and it was often creative. Um, so to begin with, it was skateboarding. I skateboarded for about 10 years until I broke my ankle. Um, and at the time, I considered that as a career choice. Um, and I think in retrospect, I was good enough to believe that becoming a professional skateboarder was possible, but I don't think I was actually good enough for it to be possible. So (laughs) in that sense, break my ankle was a bit of a um, blessing in disguise. Maybe Mm. I went to art school, art college because I didn't want to join the real world and get a job. Um, And then went to university for the same reason and then did a master's for the same reason. Um, After skateboarding, I played a lot of music I thought at the time that was going to be my job. And then I kind of just fell into being an artist, I suppose. It was mm. never a dream, really, of mine. And you moved to London to be an artist, basically, didn't you? Originally. Uh, almost, yeah. I mean, I I moved to London very spur of the moment. So I was managing a cocktail bar and living in Salford. And basically, the um, all within the same week, basically, the the bar closed and my um, my tenancy of my house was coming to an end and I'd finished my MA. So I thought, maybe I'll move to London. And then within a week and a half, I think, I was here. So I just dropped, pretty much dropped everything and spur of the moment, on a whim, kind of moved. And it wasn't even at that point necessarily to move to be an artist, but I think it was... I think I wanted to involve myself in the art world. I didn't know in what sense. I got a job in a gallery to begin with. Yeah. So when you first moved down to London, you were working in a gallery and you were putting on shows and also you had your first solo show there 
and you're doing lots of other things it's quite a different um way of working when you were doing it then wasn't it so what you do now a yeah, lot more on the street different. and yeah it was yeah it was very different i mean i i was um i suppose most of my decisions back then were born out of being incredibly skint all of the time so i didn't have a studio so i ended up doing a lot of scrappy drawings and stuff and um just around on the streets um and um yeah and i worked at the gallery I was kind of just like a, a general gallery assistant, I suppose, but I was running events and installing shows and managing the managing parties that they, they did like illegal raves down there because it was in a basement space. So I was working at all those kind of things. And, um, and it was very good. It was a good stepping stone to integrate myself into the art world. I suppose mm. I, um, I met a lot of people through doing it. I got a lot of experience of what it's what it's like putting on a show and what goes into it and stuff. Yeah. Is there anything you wish you'd done more of or less of when you're when you're starting out when you're first beginning your career? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Um I suppose I wish that I took it much more seriously much more early on. Um I didn't take it at all seriously for a long time. Um I wish one big thing that I wish is that I kept the details of everyone who bought my work and anyone who expressed interest in buying my work because someone told me that they do that a few years ago in a spreadsheet. I thought, fuck, why haven't I been doing that? It's an amazing idea. So then I started to do it from that point. And I also started to retroactively go through all my email accounts and social media and find the details of these people to put in there. A lot of it is lost. I think there's about five, maybe four or five years of exhibiting where I didn't keep track of anything like that. So a lot of those people are lost. Mm. And obviously, if you have a new show or a, do a new release, the most likely person to buy your work is someone who's already bought your work. So having that information is invaluable. Yeah. Top tip there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and recently you've been doing a lot of painting, which is uh, quite different. Yeah, from what you've been, what you were doing before. Yeah. What? Why is why the shift? Um, I just so I've been lecturing at university and I've been doing all of these feedback sessions and tutorials and crits and stuff with the students, and um, in those we slash they, I suppose they mainly would come up with all these crazy ideas and then get really excited by them and we I'd get really excited by them and they'd go off and try them. And it would often lead to really exciting results. And since I've been exhibiting and because my work takes so long, I've pretty much been making work for for shows. So my work has been, I haven't really had freedom to experiment. And I, I started to become a little bit envious of the, the freedom to explore and experiment and just do whatever pops into your mind that these students have. And I, I was thinking to myself, I wish I had that. And I thought, actually, I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, right, all right, I'm going to start saying no to a lot more shows. I'm going to basically just allow myself the freedom to do that, just experiment and make, make some new stuff. Because um, I kind of felt a little bit trapped in what I was making. Because once you start doing something and you start, and you've been doing it for so long, I suppose that's what people expect from you. So you feel like you have to keep doing that. 
Um, so I just decided actually, fuck it. Like the first person that needs to be excited by my work is me. And if I'm not excited by it, then nobody else is going to be. So I thought, all right, I'm just going to take some time off from doing what I'm usually doing. And I'm just going to make some paintings. Mm. Must be really refreshing to be able to take hold of the direction of your career like that. And sort of just, yeah, yeah it's really exciting. It's, um, to begin with, it was a little bit frustrating because I was making some um, paintings and they weren't going where I wanted them to. And I was making a little bit of sculpture and I was talking to my driving instructor, um, shout out Kurt. Um, and, uh, and we were talking about sculpture at the time, but he said like, well, surely if you haven't made sculpture before, you've got to make some shit ones before you start making some good ones. And that was like a revelation. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing. Of course you do. So I've kind of, I'm approaching painting with the same with the same idea in mind. So I'm making, I'm painting a lot. I'm making a lot of paintings and then I'm just scrapping loads of them. Mm. And I'm, once you kind of give yourself the freedom to, to know that like, yeah, not everything I make is going to be good. Then you can just plow through it. And like, you got to do anything for a while before you start getting good at it. So I think probably out of every 10 paintings I do, one of them is exhibitable. Mm. Um, but that's great. That's like, because also then some of these old bad paintings I'm just reworking and some of them I'm just slicing up with a Stanley knife so it's like it's, <laughs> it feels amazing to be honest I've seen some of the works you've been doing recently the like total departure also subject matter wise as well that like a lot of your previous work's been very figurative and now it's not so much well some of the, some of the works anyway why why do you yeah. think that's changing <clears throat> I think that's again another symptom of me just feeling a little bit trapped in in the consistency of what I was doing before so I've, mm. a, a lot of my works I think if you to if you're to look back on like the the last eight years of my work I think most of it you can identify not if you couldn't identify that it was mine you could identify that it was by the same person that did other works in that in that time period so I kind of without knowing it was doing the same thing because I felt like I had to, I suppose. Mm. So once I realized that actually like I have the power to make the decision not to do that, I just thought I'm just going to do what, what is fun and what comes naturally. So I also, I suppose it's been because I've, I'm almost, I mean, I'm not going to stop doing any of that and I haven't drawn a line under it or anything, but mm. now that I have this like freedom that I suppose I always had, um, I'm just, I'm just kind of using it to experiment. I think, mm. yeah. And also, I like I don't because I haven't painted before. Like I, I'm painting in oils, and I, I was never taught that at art school or anything. I'm very like my paintings are very naive in style um, and technique. And when I first started it, I was trying to replicate the precision that I had with my other works, and I can't do it because I've <laughs> never painted before. So. Yeah. So then I decided I'm just going to embrace the naivety. And um, and so the things that I'm painting are very intentionally very loose, and mm. very um, naive, I suppose. So that naturally makes me not want to paint things like figuration that I've been doing for eight years or whatever, because that you have to, everything has to be in the right place. Mm. And that's not what I really want from the paintings. Yeah. So question we've we asked quite a bit as well what do you think's the biggest obstacle you've come across in your career so far uh well aside from 
the one that we've just been talking about my own yeah my own feelings of uh having to conform to what i have done in the past etc i suppose being skint mm. i was very skint for maybe the first like five six seven years of my career um and, and i mean i'm still a lot more skint than i would be if i was doing anything else like i'm i reckon i'm on the same that i was on when i was running the bar back in like 2011 yeah um so my uh salary hasn't increased at all in i mean i suppose it took a big dip yeah. when i joined the art world and it's <laughs> gradually increased since then but um yeah i mean that's a real struggle for a lot of artists i think mm. especially because you've got a hire a studio and i've been very lucky that i've lived in live workspaces yeah the lift shaft yeah i lived in a lift shaft for uh i think for four to four and a half months maybe that was great it's a great space. <laughs> yeah, so that really is how it sounds. I lived in a lift shaft. So it was a lift that didn't work. That was sat at the very top of the lift shaft. And I lived on like the bottom two levels of the lift shaft. <laughs> um, it sounds bleak, but I really enjoyed it, actually. It was, it was great. We built these levels inside it. It was like a treehouse yeah, so inside. <laughs> it was in a gallery. It was in a gallery in East London that isn't there anymore. Um, and uh, I think... At the time, they were trying to sublet it, so there wasn't any events happening in there. So I had a whole gallery, like basement gallery to myself, basically. We had like skate ramps in there. Um, and yeah, we had this little treehouse lift shaft type thing. Good for parties. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> yeah, after a night out, heading back there. Yeah. Had like a function one sound system. I mean, I didn't know how to use it, but I, <laughs> some of the speakers I used um, uh. and you could get loud there because it wasn't a residential area and it was a basement. So yeah, I did. I did love it. And so and uh, over the last few years, we've been doing Delphian together as well, obviously. We've been doing what? <laughs> Corona what? <laughs> um, yeah, so... Delphine gallery. <laughs> Delphinian. <laughs> um so in terms of curation, what would your ideal show be to curate if you had Jeez. no if you had no restrictions or Right, this is gonna sound wild considering the stuff we show, and I don't want this to be a critique of the work we do show, but I, it would be something very conceptual and very maybe performancey. Mm -hmm. So like say early career Marina Abramovich, um like Rhythm Zero is an artwork that I think about all the time. Santiago Sierra would be in there. Mona Hatoum would be in there. Cornelia Parker, maybe. Um, yeah, it'd be really like almost uncomfortable exhibition of really trying artworks that... Um, a lot of the artwork that I like and write about is artwork that I don't actually like, if that makes sense. Mm. So like Santiago Sierra, some of his works are horrific. <laughs> um, he basically exploits people as art. But the reason it's great is because it highlights to us how we exploit people in our everyday lives. So it's 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 powerful, and I don't like that it's possible. But I think because it exists, it's powerful, and it and it has a real potential for instigating change. Um, so yeah, there'd be a lot of really uncomfortable artworks in it. I think. Mm. So you mentioned a few of your favourites there. What would be your one piece of artwork that's that's had the most impact on you ever? What's your what's your favourite one? Um, well, there was two questions there, and the answer to both of them is not the same. Um, but the artwork that has had the biggest effect on me, 
is well i think maybe rhythm zero by abramovich just because mm. i think about it all the time or tracy emin's bed the reason for that so you, you also said your favorite yeah. at the end so that's not my favorite artwork by any stretch of the imagination but i remember it being the first artwork that i saw when i was at art college when i was 16 that wasn't a painting or a traditional like marble sculpture and it was the first time i think that i realized actually anything the the craftsman the crafting of an idea can be the creative act in making an artwork and it doesn't have to be like this really technically precise amazing um display of craftsmanship like the craftsmanship can be the the creation of an idea mm. so i think it might have been that yeah but if you ask me what painting what artwork i'd put on my wall um, I think I can't even remember what it's called. It's called like "Pregnant Pregnant Woman" or something by um, Lucian Freud. Um, I think it's his wife, but I think she was like pre- she was pregnant. I think it was his. I think she was about nineteen or twenty. In right. The photo. Really good painting. So yeah, that nice. or just a Hernan Bass, any Hernan Bass yeah. painting, <laughs> or an Alice Neal maybe or something. Yeah, Hernan Bass is amazing. Yeah. So was there one moment that made you? realize you're an artist you said just then that when you saw my bed that that sort of opened your eyes to the possibilities of contemporary art was there was there a moment when you when you thought when you realized that um you were an artist or or the artist being an artist was a possibility uh i can't remember the exact moment but i remember it being a lot later than you might imagine so it was after i'd started exhibiting so i when i finished my ma i was exhibiting in cafes and bars and stuff um, and I did a lot of that, almost like on commission. They would ask me to come in and do an artwork on their wall. Then I moved to London, and I was—I did a tiny bit of that. Um, I started doing them outside because I didn't have a studio, and it was just fun to like skate around and damage some property or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, because of a really big one that I did that got a lot of press, I was offered a solo show. Um, very soon, so my first ever exhibition outside of the cafes and bars or whatever, my first like exhibition in a gallery, I think was October 2012. Then my first solo show was November 2012. Oh no, maybe not October, maybe like September, August or September. I think it might have been summer. Mm. But yeah, anyway, within a few months I had a solo show. So I, I mean, I wasn't ready for it. I really like what I did and I like the show and I don't regret anything that I did for it, but I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Um, some might argue that I don't know. Maybe I don't. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was, it was after that. I started getting asked to be in shows and I thought, kind of crept up on me that it would have been, that it was possible for it to be a career. But I think I didn't think of myself as an artist yeah. until after that. And in those initial years, you did a lot of exhibitions. I remember going with you to openings almost every week. Yeah. And being included in lots of group shows and stuff. Do you yeah. think that, do you think, Looking back, do you think that was a good thing to sort of in, like jump into the art world at um, first like that and involve yourself as much as possible? Yeah, I think I'm I'm like an all or nothing kind of person. So I think for me it was necessary. And I think I learned a lot in those first couple of years that I was doing that because it was entirely new to me. Like I studied graphic design as well, so I didn't really, um, wasn't involved in the art world up in Manchester. Um, I did an MA in contemporary fine art but that was all like writing and theory um what was the question yeah so i mean if if artists were to ask me 
should we do that at the beginning of our careers? I'd probably say yes. Um, someone once told me, I think it might have been Frankie, Frankie Shea, um, said like you should do every opportunity that is offered to you um, as long as you aren't being exploited mm. until you get to the point where you are in a position to start saying no to things. So I would maybe advise people do that, just like, I think if you know where you are and you know where your career is headed and you're on a good trajectory and then then is the time when you can start maybe saying no to things. But I think if you constant if you're just waiting until the time when you're perfectly ready and your work is exactly where you want it and and you feel like yeah, you feel like you're completely ready, then you'll never do anything. Mm. So I think jumping in at the deep end, doing a lot of shows, doing a lot of bad work, like a lot of my work back then was terrible. <laughs> um I couldn't really draw even like if I look back at my old works now. Um but yeah, I don't regret it. I think it was what I needed to yeah. start me off i think some of the shows that you did back then were really interesting as well the way just even works in progress shows and stuff and when we did that sketchbook show yeah i think i maybe broke a few rules just because i didn't know what they were yeah um so yeah i did an exhibition of seven years worth of sketchbooks and like 90 percent of the stuff in there was terrible because it was all sketchbooks do you remember how many pieces yeah. were in it it's got to be like a, couple uh, a hundred. few hundred yeah. yeah we just like strung up and I remember actually, you probably don't remember this, but I was so skinned back then that I had to work out a way of hanging all these things. So we basically put screws in the wall and then string across and we had to peg, use actual yeah. pegs. And I didn't have any money for pegs. So you bought a load of pegs and then I think we sold like the drawings for like 50 quid each. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then once I'd sold sold some I could pay you back for the pegs. <laughs> I don't remember that no. <laughs> yeah. I remember I remember going to the uh that one of those everything shops on uh, Hoxton Street yeah. to buy loads of pegs yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah, we had to buy like three or four hundred pegs I think yeah god that feels like a long time ago yeah it does <laughs> um what would be so in terms of your own work what would your ideal show be now if you, if you now that you're saying no to more shows and you sort of feel like you've got a bit more control over your career, yeah. Um, if, if what would at, at this time what would be your ideal show to do? Mm, of a show of mine, yeah. Um, I suppose it would be. I think it'd just be a show of painting. Although I'd like to. So my solo show that was. Um, we spoke about in what will be last the last episode mm. um i involved so i wrote a play i involved i included sorry a page from the first draft of that in the show so i would like to include other things like that that aren't just a two-dimensional visual artwork and it it involves some kind of installation-y element so for most of my shows i've done artworks that come outside of the the frame of the artwork and come onto the gallery walls it'd mm. be like that um do you remember morella show i did yeah. with pang and sophie mason yeah so that was a show that we did like a in a secret venue that was you had to go through a bookshop say a password and then you open this door and you're in this like all black and white completely painted space where mm. we painted on the walls the floor the ceiling I can't remember if we did do the ceiling. Yeah, the ceiling was done. Yeah. Um, and then we hung works on top of that. Um, I'd like to do something like that again, mm. but I suppose updated so that it fits well with my work now. Yeah. 
I mean, for even for the, some of your last shows, you always include works on the wall and t- yeah. tape onto the wall and stuff. Yeah. So that's, a, I suppose, that's a continuation from them as well. Yeah, that was. I think that was like that's a good example of a show where I, where we had complete freedom to do whatever we wanted with the space. So like even nowadays, like galleries are very reluctant to just let you paint a wall black because of how difficult it will be to get it back again. Yeah. Whereas in that space, we painted the walls, the floor, the ceiling all black. So yeah. We had, we basically had a space, person around the space was like, do whatever, whatever you want. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've had that absolute freedom since then. Yeah. Do you think that that would be something that you'd have to do yourself then to have that element of freedom? Yeah, maybe. Rather than a gallery yeah, put maybe. it on for you. Yeah, I mean, when you do something with a gallery, the, the install times are often really short because yeah. they've got to take a show down. They don't want to be closed for too long and they've got to get a show up again. Whereas for that show, I think we were painting in the space for like three three to four weeks maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I can't imagine a gallery giving me a month to install a show. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I suppose probably. Yeah. would have to do it myself obviously another one of our big questions is what one piece of advice would you give to an emerging artist or curator don't be a prick <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice easy one yeah a lot of them are I mean, i'm sure I, will, I have been at times in my life but um <laughs> yeah don't be i think with the with being an artist similarly to how i'd imagine it is for being say an actor or a musician it's very performative and it's i think artists often are very conscious about the the persona that they put across and how they um and how they are perceived by people so rather than say in some industries where you are judged entirely on your work and nothing else i think in the arts you're also judged on who you are and what you are and so i think a lot of artists put across a certain persona that is is intended to show success but i think it can often just mean that they've become a bit of a prick i think uh so so yeah so i think um i think that should be avoided probably <laughs> i tried to avoid it myself i'm sure I, i'm a prick in some senses sometimes but i try not to be <laughs> But I guess it's probably hard because I think people must think I need to look like all of my shows are selling out and Mm. I don't need, I think a lot of artists, a lot of these specific artists are thinking like, I need to look like I don't give a shit about sales or I don't Mm. give, or I don't need, I don't need anyone else because I'm doing so well because that is almost how, it's almost like a, what's the word? It's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy. I think like people Collectors especially expect artists to be selling well. So I think artists try and give that give that impression to, to almost to the extreme where they act like everything is amazing all the time. It it becomes a part of who they are, like sometimes, not all artists obviously, but this certain brand of artist that it's all about the persona. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, avoid that. Because I think also people who are interested in your work want to know about you and your personality. And um, so that's that's not necessarily like, um, that's not just this this persona that you want to put out there, this this very heavily edited social media presence. It's, mm. it's everything. 
So like when I talk about my paintings and kind of not knowing what I'm doing and I'm, I'm embracing the naivety because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, that's almost an uncomfortable thing to say because obviously I've been working as a, an artist for like eight years now. Um, and, and there's almost this compulsion to be like, no, I'm brilliant at everything. Yeah. But actually no one is. Like, no. I think it's quite, it's, it's, it's healthy for people to be able to admit that things aren't always good. Yeah. Like nothing's going to be perfect all the time. It's the same in any aspect of life, isn't it? So. Yeah. But I think in the arts, people often feel like they have to pretend like it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah everything's, everyone's always really busy and everyone's always just had a really good show and everything's always fantastic all the time when sometimes yeah. it isn't. So. Yeah. And it's not, there's no shame in, yeah. in that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be a prick and don't, don't try and act like you're just the the most talented, gifted, successful person ever, because that just a like it just it's not a it's not a good way to live your life. <laughs> but also b people don't like it. Cool. Well, yeah, I think that. Uh, right, we're ending on don't be a prick, are we? Don't be a, don't, <laughs> don't be a prick. <laughs> yeah. So the coronavirus special part two. Yeah. Don't be a prick. Yeah. <laughs> That goes with uh, stockpiling toilet roll as well. So yeah. Don't... If you stockpile toilet roll, you are a prick. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Goodbye. Bye.